You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Well, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 12 if you have a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible with you but you have a phone that is smart, uh, oftentimes smarter than us, I've come to realize that you can go to uh, uversion.com and uh, make your way to John chapter 12. And uh, and I just want to say aloha. I am so stoked that you are at church this morning. I believe that God is going to speak to us because anytime we open his word, God speaks. And that's why we are a church that is all about studying his scriptures because um, if without his scriptures, we have absolutely nothing. And if you are new at church this morning, this is your first time, you're checking out Showbreak, I also want to say a special welcome to you. We're glad that you are at church this morning. And we know that uh, this is an exciting time. Easter is next Sunday. And, uh, and this time of the year, you have to understand, is people are more open to coming to church, not necessarily for good reasons, often for religious purposes, but they are more willing to go to church uh, during Easter and Christmas than any time throughout the rest of the year. So we have loads of business cards uh, on the information table on your way out. So grab stacks of these and be inviting people, be bringing people to church. Uh, we can promise you that every Sunday, especially next Sunday, of all Sundays, Jesus will be preached. The gospel will go out unashamed. And so make sure uh, you grab those on your way out. One more thing, too, before we, we get to work here. Um, we, uh, we, our vision as a church, if you're new, is to amplify Jesus, which means that uh, it's, we're all about Jesus, and we want to make as much of him as we possibly can uh, known to this community and to Kona and, and Hawaii. Um, and uh, part of that is, of course, amplifying Jesus' music. And so if you have skills in the musical department, please come up after the service Jared is our worship leader. You can talk to Jared, leave him your phone number, whether you play guitar, bass, um, whatever other things. We especially need a drummer. So if you play any one of those things, or if you know someone who has skills in that area, have them come, chat with us, and we'd be stoked to get them dialed in. So um, I had you turn to John chapter 12. We're going to be in, starting in verse 12. And by God's sovereignty, we are back in the Gospel of John. Um, we've been in the Gospel of John for eight months as a church, and now we find ourselves in chapter 12. And by His grace, we are studying through John. We have to be studying the triumphant entry in the Gospel of John on Palm Sunday. So if you're into those kind of things, I think that's pretty pretty awesome. Jesus had that planned out the whole time. We're just hanging along for the ride. Um, hopefully you're there. Starting in verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had gathered, that had come to the feast, heard, heard that Jesus was coming with them to Jerusalem. So they took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. 
Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and what had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that as we come before you to study your word, that we are dependent upon your scriptures. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be here. We need to hear from you. This isn't just some religious gathering. Jesus, you are alive, and you are the resurrection and the life. And our hearts, by default, are rebellious and wicked. We don't want you. We don't desire you. And I pray that through you, Holy Spirit, you would change our desires. We would see clearly who you are, and you would wreck us from the inside out. So as we study a text and a passage that many of us well know, I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've called our message this morning, King Jesus on a Little Donkey. King Jesus on a Little Donkey, if you're taking notes. The Gospel accounts all have different angles of the same story. Um, some of you uh, have heard people, maybe some of you are those type of people, who criticize the gospel because like, yeah, there were four different gospel stories because they couldn't get them right, they couldn't get it straight, so they had to work all of these things out. And that's really not the case. The gospel stories are all telling one story, the same story, but from different angles. Maybe you've, uh, have you ever witnessed a traffic accident, right? They never want just one witness, they want multiple witnesses. I, the last time I witnessed a traffic accident, I wish I got out of there because I had to sit around waiting. And the cops were chasing after some people who were other witnesses, but they just kept driving. So I had to wait, and they all sat us down, and we all had to tell our angle, our aspect of the story. Not much like a football game, right? If you watch football from, or even basketball from 40 years ago, the footage is a little different than it is today. They had, like, what, two cameras then? And, like, high definition was not high definition you're just lucky to have it in color. And now when you watch a football game, I mean, how many cameras are there? You have the side camera. You have the ultra HD camera. So when the quarterback gets slain, you see the sweat flying off his head. You're like, this is so crazy. It's so clear. And, and they have the sky cam. And that's really what's happening here. Same story. Same incident. Just a different angle, a different take on it. And Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew seeks to show the seamless tie that Jesus is the promised Messiah to come. He wrote that to the Jews. Mark went on endeavor to show Jesus as the suffering servant. He wrote that to the Romans. Luke, written by a doctor. Luke was a physician and a doctor. And his boss, Theophilus, gave him a job. He's like, all right, Luke, I'm going to give you a job. You are going to investigate all the truths that have been said about God. That is your job. That is what you're going to dedicate your life to. And the, I mean, I'm sure Luke is like, I have the best boss in the world. I can't wait to do this. But being a physician, he focused on the humanity of Christ because we know that Jesus is, yes, 
100% God, 100% deity, but he's also 100% man. So Jesus is, in essence, 100% deity and 100% dude. And, and Luke seeks out to exploit his humanity. And John, as we've studied, we've been studying, is the bold proclamation that Jesus is God. Uncut, uncensored, Jesus is God, and you can't get away from that. And so, I say that all because this epic, triumphant entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday makes it in all four of the Gospels. So this story is in all four of the Gospels, and this is worth exploiting and looking at, because often we read when we're studying through the Gospels, there are scattered pieces of Jesus' story throughout all the Gospels, but this story, the implications of this, is so important, it made it into all four Gospels, which I would say, many of us know the story, we've heard it, let it be fresh today, let it be new today. Let this story brand and be seared upon your hearts as important. And, uh, and so we pick it up here. These people believe that Jesus was an amazing man sent from God. But I love it. Not everyone knows what's going on here. Everyone's celebrating. Everyone's having a party. It's like Gangnam style, right? Nobody knows really what that's about at all. But everyone's just doing this stupid dance. And it's like, and some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. You can go on YouTube later and waste your life away looking up Gangnam style. But that's really what's happening here. Uh, everyone's having this party and celebrating, and people have really no idea what's going on, including Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples like, we actually don't know what's going on. Because John, one of Jesus' disciples, as an eyewitness of Jesus, wrote this. Look at verse 16. He said, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But then, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that Je- remembered that the things that had been written about him and had been done to him. So if you were to ask the disciples, verse 16 realizes, reveals to us, the disciples had no idea what was going on either. Like, I love that. They've been following Jesus for, for how long? For three and a half years. And like, hey, so what is Jesus doing right now, this triumphant entry? Why is he renting a donkey? And like, yeah, we actually don't have a clue. They don't have a clue about it. And they're there, and they're partying, dancing, doing all these things with everyone. And even his disciples had no idea what was going on. Which just goes to show this. Just because we know the story doesn't mean we know the story. Just because we are familiar with it doesn't mean that you and I really are familiar with it. And there's a danger in approaching the Word of God saying, I got this thing down, I know it, I understand it. Really? Because every time I approach this book, even studying it, I mean, I'm probably at danger more than most because it's like, all right, here we go, we're going to preach on this, I've got this thing. So the disciples, they didn't know what was going on. They would, in the future, look back. Who knows? It could have been a week. It could have been a year. It could have been three years. The disciples... Looking back, we're like, oh, yeah, now we knew what was going on. Now we get it. And it's okay if you don't understand what you're reading in the Bible. It's all right. You know, when I read through Leviticus, I'm reading some of those things, I'm like, I don't get it at all, right? Uh, but don't let what you don't understand about the Bible not cause you to be in the Word of God. Because your misunderstanding of it or your intimidation by it is the very thing that you need to change you. 
And so they would look back, and I love this, the disciples would, would, would look back into their past and say, oh, now I get it. I get it. It makes sense. Which goes to show that as Christians and as people, we must read the Bible backwards. Read the Bible backwards. Unlearn the Bible for a moment. Let it reconstruct your mind. Because what we do is we're like, all right, here we go. I know the story. And then we kind of bring in our preconceived ideas, apply it to this, and we're like, well, this is what I think about it. No, no, no. Let this book cause you to think what you should be thinking. Let this book transform your mind. That's what Paul wrote in Romans 12. Uh, Romans 12. He said, let the word of God renew your minds, transform your minds. And I love it that in light of the resurrection and God conquering death, that brought fresh, new meaning to this book. Really, as we read here, look at the second half of verse 16. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had happened. Listen, when Jesus is glorified, when you read the word of God to glorify the word of God, not to build it up up here, because many of us have too much up here and we don't do enough with it. But when we let the word of God and our minds transform us and we glorify him, God's word begins to open up and have entirely new meetings. If you're taking notes, write this down. Psalm 119, 18. David said, Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful truths of your law. So King David is like, I don't even understand God's word totally. And he wrote parts of God's word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's like, God, help me to understand the things that I am writing down for you because even I don't understand all of these things. And so when we start with Jesus reading our Bibles and we look for Jesus in every chapter and in every verse, it brings an entirely new meaning to this book. And what we do, though, is we do quite the opposite. I do the opposite. I'm like, all right, here we go. So I'm going to read the Word of God. God, I hope that you speak to me today. And so then I'll open up and I'll read in Samuel. Oh, sweet, David slayed Goliath. And I'm not even kidding. I've actually heard a pastor come up and say, here's how you can be like David. you got to get five stones. And he had all these like allegories for the different types of stones that were to chuck at Goliath. And I read that, it's like, dude, I, I would be, af- I'm afraid of Goliath. Like, I'm not, I what, really? And what we do is when we approach God's Word, we approach God's Word with, well, there's good guys in the Bible, and there's bad guys in the Bible. Don't be like the bad guys, right? I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. No, the Bible tells us that we're all bad. We are all jacked up, rotten, dirty sinners. That's what Romans says. Welcome to church, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And really, for example, let's just use David again. David slaying Goliath isn't like, all right, time for me to charge that giant, throw and hurdle the stone, and hope, hopefully it hits Goliath. No, no. The story is that we are Saul. We're the fearful soldiers sitting back in our armor saying, I don't know, God, I don't know. And there goes Jesus, who is representative of David, and takes out the giant that we can never kick out, the giant of sin and death. You guys seeing this? We aren't the heroes. Jesus is the hero. And when you read the Bible that we are the damsel in distress and we need rescuing, it brings a whole new meaning. It's not man-centered. It's gospel-centered. It's Jesus-centered because every scripture in the Bible bleeds the blood of Christ. Every single verse of it. And we stay gospel-centered when reading the Bible. That is the key to understanding scripture. Just because we know the story doesn't mean we know the story. 
The disciples didn't get it. But what we can understand this today is how we see Palm Sunday on this Palm Sunday is very different than the way people saw Palm Sunday then. Uh, we see just a bunch of people waving their palm branches. But it's, uh, it's important to understand this. The Jews were holding out for the dawning of a new age. They had been waiting and waiting and waiting for someone to come and to finally settle everything. How long were they waiting? Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, they were in the garden. You guys know the story. They sinned and and sin entered all of creation, including mankind. And God promised that he was going to send one who was going to crush the head of the serpent. And that's all the way back in Genesis 3. And so the Jews, they're waiting. They had been waiting since Genesis chapter 3, thousands of years, and they were anticipating what? A new kingdom. A place where the rights would be made wrong. Where justice would have its way. So much so that the lion would actually lay down and chill with the lamb. Where tears and sin would be no more. That's what they were waiting for. And isn't that what our souls long for today often? When we look at what's happening in culture. Just reading in the news, a sign fell out of an airport and killed a 10-year-old boy. Just a random happening just a couple a couple days ago, or maybe it was even yesterday. And it's like, gosh. And then you read of these shootings, like our souls long for a new kingdom to be ushered in because we know this isn't right. We know this is only temporal. So they've been anticipating a new kingdom where the rights would be made wrong, where justice would have its way. And hundreds of thousands would have traveled to Jerusalem, excited, anticipating, this is Jesus. Maybe he's the one. Maybe the new kingdom's going to be ushered in. And so they're throwing down their coats at the feet of Jesus, making a pathway so he would not be on the dust and waving their palm branches in adoration to him. And thousands would have been playing Psalm 125, would have been on their playlist, on their way in if they're traveling to Jerusalem. It would have been on repeat if they had an iPod, right? Repeat, repeat, repeat. They would have been singing it constantly over and over again. Psalm 125, verses 3 through 5. This is the song that they would have sung. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hand to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, Lord, the Lord will lead away the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. So you can see their expectations are high, right? Really, they're hoping that Jesus just goes Bruce Lee on the Romans, right? All right, Jesus, you can just kill the Romans finally. Can you just set up your kingdom? Can you take them out? And can you usher in everything? Because Jesus is king, and you should set up your kingdom. And you could understand why they would label Jesus this way. It makes sense. Here are the five reasons why they label Jesus as king. First is this. Jesus was king over creation. He was king over creation. You guys remember, what was his first miracle? Jesus shows up to a wedding, and what does he do? He turns water into wine. And that's, that's pretty, I mean, that's almost like a controversial like miracle, right? So really, Jesus, I mean, what is your first miracle? You're gonna, people have already drinking plenty. They might have even been drunk, and Jesus is by no means saying, go drink and get smashed and be drunk, but Jesus turned water into wine. Oh, actually, if I go back and we read in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, 
God speaking. He said, let us make man in our own image. Who is God speaking to? Us. God saying, hey, Jesus, hey, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our own image. So Jesus, the first thing, is king over creation. He has editing rights over his creation. Here's the second thing. Jesus was king over disease. And they saw this. They saw him heal the blind man. They saw leprosy, the incurable disease, be cured out of people's bodies. The third thing, they saw that Jesus was king over Satan. This is huge. Because that was part of a church growing up that was um, really, 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 um, really bent towards extreme Pentecostalism. And what, what they focused on was the kingdom of darkness more than the kingdom of light. And they would focus on, I mean, the, the devil's powerful. I mean, he's, he's like super powerful, so you better watch out for this guy. I mean, he's like really powerful. So again, what about Jesus, right? But here we see that, that uh, well, when Jesus cast out the legion of demons from a man, the demons had to ask permission from Jesus, can we go into the herd of swine, right? The first time you see deviled ham in all the Bible. Just saying, that was a terrible joke, all right. That was bad, I know. Okay, but Jesus was king over Satan. And how about this? Jesus, fourthly, was king over sin. Jesus is king over sin. Jesus would go up to the prostitute and say, go on and sin no more, for you've been forgiven. To the prostitute. Jesus would go up to different people and say, yeah, you screwed up, you've messed up, but go on and sin no more. And the religious leaders were like, you can't say that. Only God can forgive people of their sins. And Jesus is like, I'm king over sin because I am God. In fact, Jesus never sinned. Jesus was sinless. He was perfection. Last and finally, Jesus was, as we know, and we'll see more next week, Jesus was king over death. Jesus conquers death. That's huge. I mean, and going back to our study a couple weeks ago, how about Lazarus? He was dead. He was in the tomb for a long time. And for four days, and and we know that, that Jesus just looked in that tomb and just commanded, Lazarus, get out. Wake up. Come on. Let's go. Come back to life. And it's amazing that Jesus would command Lazarus from death. In fact, look at verse 17 really quick here. That, that was still, that had gone crazy. People are going nuts over that because verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. These people can't get over it. He raised someone from the dead. I mean, th- these implications are huge. So can you see why the Jews are thinking Jesus is pretty much king? Maybe not the religious Jews, but a majority of them are singing, all right, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel's here. And Jesus would often, you guys remember, he would slow down their hopes. He's like, whoa, 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 take it easy, guys. What do he say? My time has not yet come. Yeah, you want, in fact, one time, they tried to force Jesus to become king, and Jesus had to escape. He's like, well, my time has not yet come. But this is what I love here. His time has come now. In his triumphant entry, the king is here and his time has come. And Jesus is not saying, my time is, is still to come. No, it's, it's here. And Jesus let people praise him. Jesus let people worship him. In verse 13, we read this. So they took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out. This is a worship session. Hosanna. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So these people are stoked, right? I mean, you just see it. All They're stoked. They are rejoicing. There is a breakout party on the spot. Thousands of people there. And Jesus is the king of kings. And Jesus is the Lord of lords. And when Jesus is king in our life, we can't help but celebrate and rejoice. Listen, if you in your life don't have celebration, if you aren't stoked, if you don't have purpose beyond the meaningless pointlessness of this life, it's because Jesus is not king in your life. When Jesus is king, you have reason to celebrate. You have reason to rejoice. And they were right that Jesus was indeed a king because Jesus was. And let me say this, Jesus is the king over creation. Jesus is the king over disease, over Satan, over sin, and over death. But sadly, Jesus was not their king. They're acknowledging all these things, but Jesus wasn't their king. So I ask you, is Jesus king over your life? Does he have all of you? Well, how can I tell? Would you have reason to celebrate? Can you worship? Can you, can you rejoice? Are you stoked beyond no matter what horrible things happen to you? You can rejoice knowing that Jesus is king over all the things that you're going through. And I've been asking myself this question, reading this, how can they be so right but so wrong? How could they be so close but yet so far, right? I mean, they got it all right. They even are singing the songs. I mean, they got this thing down. Here's how. Write this down, please. This is huge. They didn't believe their beliefs. They did not believe what they believed in. And it's because they lost their vertical view of God. And what they could see horizontally was perverted because they couldn't see Jesus correctly. And so when they looked at Jesus, they were looking for an entitlement. And when we fail to keep our eyes vertical, looking to Jesus, we end up worship, worshiping a Jesus that isn't even real, that doesn't really even exist. And we miss him entirely. And I pray that that would not be our case as a church or as a people. That would devastate me knowing that we could possibly be worshiping a Jesus that doesn't exist. Because many people do. Many people do. And for these people, this couldn't be more true because a few days later, they would yell, crucify him, even though they are adoring him right now. Because what they wanted did not align with what they needed. They're hoping, all right, God, bring in your kingdom. But you know what? Jesus is like, you don't need your kingdom. You need this kingdom that you so think you want from me because really, you're still going to die and you, your sin is still separating yourself from me. So you've got to get this right, Jesus is telling the religion. You want me to set up an earthly kingdom here? My kingdom is so much bigger than this, but first we've got to deal with sin. And when what they didn't get what they wanted, they get upset. And when we don't have our entitlement satisfied, when we don't get our way often with God, what we do is we drop our palm branches. And instead, we raise up our fists at God and say, why did you not give me what you wanted for me? 
You promised me all these things. It's like, well, why? It's because I read my Bible every day this week. I memorized a verse this week, Jesus. You owe me something. And she's like, are you, really? Often because we don't believe our beliefs. And I pray that we would be a church that truly does believe what we believe. And, and I, you know, honestly, this is something I've been struggling with. I've been reading this text, and I was just sharing with, with, with Pastor Chris this morning that, you know, like, I, I, often what I see even happening in churches, when I open this book, I don't, I don't see that in this book. I don't. And I'm reading through this, and I'm like, well, why don't we do that? And we've added all these other things on top of church, and I'm like, it's just, I, don't, I don't see it here. Like, how does that work? And And really, what it comes down to, you guys, is what we think about Jesus. That's what it all comes down to. See, the Jews thought, what the Jews thought about Jesus would ultimately brew their actions. And our thoughts, even as people, our thoughts, people fuel our actions. What we believe drives the way we live. And since they thought wrongly about God, they would end up killing God. And I would say this, the most important thing about your life, and we've said this before, and I'll say it again as a church, the most important thing, if you haven't heard anything I've said, hear this, the most important thing about your life is what you think of Jesus, is what you do with Jesus. Because you have to answer to him one day. So let Jesus be king in your life. All right, so palm branches are everywhere. Let's go back to the text. Palm branches are waving everywhere. People are throwing their coats down. A party is breaking out. And Jesus is riding on a donkey, and he is sitting up the 3,000-foot hill into Jerusalem. But doesn't this seem strange to you? Come on, let's just be honest here for a moment. Doesn't this seem weird and strange that the king is on a donkey? I mean, some of us are like, oh, come on. Yeah, I mean, it's in Byron. It's totally it's weird, all right? It's just strange. It's just weird. That's right. All right, here we go. Here's the triumphant entry. We're going to study the triumphant entry. Drum roll, please. Here he is, our king on a donkey. What? This is, this is, getting, this is getting weird. It is. I remember um, I used to make a lot of trips to Mexico um, growing up. We'd go down there for mission trips. We'd go down there for different surf trips. And one thing we would always do when we met, went to, to Mexico was everyone wanted to, everyone that we were with, except for me, wanted to go horseback riding. They're like, we have to go horseback riding. And honestly, I don't like horseback riding. Like, I don't get it. I think horses are amazing creatures, but it just doesn't work out. It really just doesn't work out. And so, um, and we're going on this one trip, and, and we're, we're uh, everyone's all excited to go horseback riding. I'm like, yay, I can't wait to go horseback riding. Um, and I was maybe 10 or 12, I don't remember, and so everyone, and I counted all the horses, right? So I heard, there's that many horses, count all the people, I'm like, yes, God, we go. So I go, Travis, do you want to come, come on, let's go horseback riding. I'm like, no, I'm good, I'm going to let you guys pick out all your horses, and so they're running up to all these different horses, and there's like the beautiful white stallion looking horse that's got more muscles on it than, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and and they go up to this beautiful black horse and these brown horses, and they're all climbing up on these amazing horses. And I'm just sitting back, I'm like, I'm not going to go, right? And, uh, and then, like, the guy is like, hey, Buyo, hey, Buyo, you, you want to go, you got to get on a horse. 
And I was like, no, I'm good, I'm good. It's like, actually, there's no more horses, man. Like, you know, it's like, oh, no, no, we, we got one for you. And I was like, no, 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 really, I'm good. It's like, no, no, we got one for you. And he, like, disappears and, and walks behind this horse, pulls out a mule. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, it's a mule. It's, like, this tall. I'm not even kidding. And I'm just looking at him like, Dad, I'm not going. He's like, you're going. Get on that thing. I was like, dang it. Dang it. This didn't work out. And and I hate mules, all right? Like, you know, everyone is on this horse, and the horse is, like, just chilling, just trotting, right? Is that what they call it, trotting? Trotting, right? Okay, so the horse is trotting. Uh, a mule can't trot with a horse. So while everyone's just like, bum, 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 bum. The mule's having to run to keep up with the trot. So I'm just like, nah, 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 like, this entire time. And everyone's up high on their magnificent, glorious horse. And I'm on this stupid mule, like, come on, boy, come on, like, keep up, you know? And, and everyone was laughing at me, like, you are now, because it was, why? It was humiliating. It was discouraging. It was like, oh my, this stupid mule. And I will never forget that. And, and, and even to this day, so, you know, like, I mean, some of our friends look back, hey, remember that stupid meal you wrote? I'm like, yeah, I remember. I will never forget. Kings, up until King David's point, which he was really just the second king of Israel, they used to ride on donkeys as well. They would ride on donkeys. But after King David, what kings decided to do was, oh, well, donkeys are too small of a creature. So um, they began to ride on horses. And horses became the new thing. It's like, all right, well, forget donkeys. They're too small. They're too humble. You look to look down you started riding on horses. And here is King Jesus riding on a donkey. Oh, not just a donkey. We're not even talking about a mule at this point. We're talking about a colt, a little donkey. I wonder if Jesus' feet were dragging as he was riding on this thing. You guys see the picture now. What in the world is King Jesus doing on a little donkey? I mean, you guys, this is... He could have been riding on a stretch chariot. After all, he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Have him on a stretch chariot. Throw some spinners on that thing. Do something. It's like pulling up to the red carpet in a station wagon. I mean, what is triumphant about this entry? I don't see it. Do you? This is anything but. But I would say if Jesus drove a car today, it would probably be a Pinto, right? But here's the thing. Jesus did very much so ride on a donkey. But just so you know, hes if we could peel back the heavens right now, he's not on a donkey anymore. He's on a white horse with eyes of flames of fire waiting to come again to judge the living and the dead. See, a horse, reason why even kings used to ride them, was symbolic of war, if you're taking notes. It was a power, it was a symbol of prominence and stature. A donkey, as we know, is humiliating. Symbolic for weakness. Donkey is symbolic as well for peace. And so here they are, drum roll please, please, triumphant entry. Here he comes. He's going to take over the kingdom. He's going to set these things up. It's all going to be better. And then they're looking like he's on a donkey, yo. What, 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 isn't he going to set up his kingdom? I mean, he's on a, he's on, he should be on a horse. He, 
And so they would have been disappointed and no doubt confused because like, Jesus, aren't you going to seize the kingdom from the Romans? Aren't you just going to set up base? Aren't you just going to take over and rule and reign and be awesome? Like, can you, can you just do that? In fact, John the baptizer is struggling with the same thing. He's actually in prison for his cousin Jesus. You guys remember John the Baptist, right? Um, he's like the, he ate locust and honey, the modern equivalent of Red Bull and cockroaches. I mean, this guy was crazy. He would chug Red Bull, eat cockroaches, and yell at people for an hour out in the desert. And people would be like, oh my gosh, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to be ready for his coming. And so he was the finger pointer to Jesus, his his cousin, actually. And if you guys remember, John actually got arrested for preaching that message. And John is in jail, and he knows, I mean, he's been obedient, and now he's in jail. And he knows when you're in jail, and the... uh the wife of, you know, the ruler pretty much hates you. It's not going to be a good day for you. And so John's like, I just got to make sure this is right. I mean, I got to make sure I'm doing the right thing here. So John sends his disciples and says, hey, can you go have a conversation, talk story with Jesus? Is this a promised Messiah to come? Because I'm in jail right now. I mean, I'll just renounce everything I said if this isn't the one to come. And what did Jesus say to his disciples when they arrived? He said, go back. Tell John of the blind sea the lame walk, and the gospel is proclaimed to the poor. John was expecting this massive kingdom, this takeover. All right, let's just go crazy and let's just make this kingdom of Rome become the kingdom of God right now. Let's do this, boom, let's go. And, and John's like, but, God, I don't see this playing out. What Jesus is showing so though it doesn't make sense, the kingdom of God is different than the kingdoms of this world. And we have the same confusion today. Because the kingdoms of this world are like, hey, pursue money, pursue sex, pursue drugs, pursue fame, pursue all these things other than Jesus. And the kingdoms of this world, really the values are directly against of what the kingdom values are. Because Jesus was showing them that. It's not about power, but weakness overthrows power in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, humility overthrows pride. And the kingdom of God, light pierces the darkness. And the kingdom of God, the first, the, 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 the first will be last, and the last will be first. In the kingdom of God, we see that. In this book that we read that it's the foolish things of this world that confound and swallow up the wise. Our kingdom that we understand here on earth is very, very different than the kingdom of God. And God will ride on a donkey. And on Good Friday, he will be killed. And Christian, let me remind you, what culture tells you to value is opposite than the eternal kingdoms of God. And we can look at the Jews and think, man, they totally blew this moment. They missed it. So much so that while everyone's partying, Jesus, as he's riding on that donkey, probably with his feet dragging, his eyes would have been filled with tears. And he wept over Jerusalem because he knew they missed it. That's why Peter says, Christians, you are a peculiar people. You know what that means? Weird. It's like, no, I'm not weird. And sometimes we try to defend Christianity. Yeah, Christianity is not weird. Come on, Christianity is crazy. We have a king who 
was on a donkey. We have a king who was homeless, who proclaimed to be God, who died and conquered sin and death on the third day. Tell me that's not crazy. We have a crazy faith. But the foolish things of this world confound the wise. Weakness overthrows power. Humility overthrows pride. Light pierces the darkness. And here in John 12, verse 15, John inserts this quote, and it's actually from Zechariah 9.9 if you're taking notes. And check this out. Guys, this is how awesome the Word of God is. Zechariah 9.9, written hundreds of years before, hundreds of years ago, before this took place, because this really did happen. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And again, that was written how many years? Hundreds of years before Jesus. Church, your king is coming. Christian, the king is coming. And he is humble, and he is righteous, and he is just, and he is Lord. And he is coming to save you. But listen, some of us are okay with Jesus on a donkey. Some of us are okay with Jesus being kind to the poor. And some of us are even okay with Jesus being king then. But some of us are not okay with Jesus taking up residency and being king over our life. Because if Jesus is king, what does that mean? We have to answer to that king. We are responsible to that king. And culturally, we hate authority, don't we? Oh my gosh. Come, we all do. When our bosses are jerks to us, it's like everything inside of us, I, I hate you. We, we hate authority. That's why we don't want Jesus is king. And often what we do is we take our eyes off our king on a donkey, even as Christians, and we place Jesus on something that better suits our needs. And it's dangerous. We cannot do that. Because when we do, we are worshiping a different God. Because if Jesus truly is king, if Jesus is truly his Lord, that means he has all of you. It means that your bank account is not your bank account, but it is his bank account. It means that your thoughts are not just your thoughts now, but they are to be thoughts towards him. It means that your life, the way that you work, the way that you eat, the way that you even play, is all to be done for his glory. And he should have ownership over us all because he is ultimately king over all. Because if Jesus is Lord, it means that he must be above everything and anyone else. And no one can even come close to him. No one should come close to Jesus in your life. No one should get in the way of Jesus in your life. All right? In fact, that's what Jesus said. We studied it last week in Luke 9. Let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. You pursue me. You come after me. You chase me. You make me your everything. And what's crazy here is the Romans would, would say that Caesar is king and that Caesar is Lord. And the Jews would say, you know, no. God. Yahweh is, is, is Lord. And Jesus here is declaring, I am the King. I am the Lord. And when it comes to Jesus, 
Some people worship him and some people do not. Look at verse 17. The crowd that had been with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done these signs. So the Pharisees said to one of the Pharisees, they get it right every single, uh, get it wrong every single time, don't they? I mean, at least they get a star on the chore chart for consistency, okay? These guys are getting it wrong every time. You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after you. In closing, know this, you guys. We all serve one of two kings. Out of everyone who's here this morning, you and I, we all serve either one of two kings. If you're taking notes, the first king is the kingdom. There's the king of darkness. And of course, we know we're speaking of Satan. And the second king is the kingdom of light, which we know Jesus is the king of light. Jesus actually said, I am the light of the world. So we are all serving one of two kings, and Satan is the the king of the kingdom of darkness. And did you know that Satan has waged war, just so you know, against the kingdom of light? If you are part of the kingdom of light, if you are in Jesus' light, Satan is after you. You have a target on your back. Everyone else doesn't. They're his. And he is after you. And he wants you, if you aren't in the light, or even if you are in the light, to stay as close to the darkness as you possibly can. How much of you can stay in the darkness? How little of you can stay in the darkness? Even if part of you is in the light. And Paul said this in Ephesians 6.2. He said, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. So since there are two kings, that means there are two kingdoms. And since there are two kingdoms, that means there are two ultimate destinations. There is the kingdom of heaven, and there is the kingdom of hell. Heaven and hell are real. And if we love Jesus, and if we serve Jesus, and if we worship Jesus, if we adore Jesus, if we value Jesus, if he is above all, in all, this. Jesus is the greatest king. Jesus is the greatest Lord. Jesus is the only Savior. And Jesus will save you from yourself. He will save you from your sin because your sin has separated you from God. And because because he substituted himself on the cross on your behalf. Jesus stepped in as the substitute and hung on the cross that you should have died. Because we've all sinned. And like even when we were little kids, when we do something wrong, because God is just, he has to punish those things which are evil. And if you do not know Jesus, if you do not love Jesus, your king is not Jesus. Satan is your king. In fact, Jesus would say that you are children of the devil in John 8, 44. And that breaks my heart knowing 
that there could be some in here this morning that are not children of the king, but they are children. And they are of their father, the devil, Satan, Jesus would say in John 8. Guys, we're not playing church. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about God's weighty, heavy glory. And here's the good news, guys. Here is the good news, because there is always, always, always good news. Jesus rode on a donkey with a target on his back. People, the Jews, were waiting for him to come, and he was coming. And in Luke 9, we are told that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. You know what he was doing? Jesus had one mission, to walk up Golgotha, carrying a cross with his ribs and his organs hanging out of his body, naked and ashamed, hanging up there on a tree 2,000 years ago on Good Friday. The darkest, blackest day in all of creation. And when he hung there, he took our sin. He took your sin. He absorbed the punishment of God. And in doing so, Jesus gave us his righteousness for those who believe in him. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Hear Jesus. Be satisfied by Jesus, you guys. He is the King of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. He did that for you. He did that for your sin. And like some here, some are like, nope. Forget this Jesus party. I want nothing to do with it. And for others, their eyes have been opened to these truths. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. Jesus, we come before you as a church, thankful for your untriumphant entry that you rode not on just a donkey, on a little donkey. Humiliated and ashamed, a crown of thorns was placed on your head. A cat of nine tails with nails was slashed upon your back. Ripped your skin open. You carried that cross to the point of shame. Your feet and your hands were pierced to the tree. And you did that because you love us. And God, you hate sin. You do. You hate sin. So much so that you would be willing to kill your own son because you love us. And I pray for every person in here, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, if you've heard the gospel, if Jesus has awakened your soul for the first time, believe in him. Celebrate in him. You have reason to rejoice now. You have moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Spirit of God, would you move? Would you do a work that only you can do in this place? God, we are a peculiar people. What we believe is so strange. But the good news, God, is it's okay that we are not okay. But that you are good. We are free to be failures because you are victorious. 
And so if you are sitting in your chair right now and God has met you, I want you to acknowledge Him. Thank Him for doing a work in your life. Place your faith and your trust in Him. And if that is you, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want you to have that moment with God. It doesn't matter what the person next to you thinks. It doesn't matter what your parent thinks. At the end of this service, if that's you, I want you to come up and to talk with me or to talk with Chris and one of the pastors. Let us know what God is doing in your life. We want to give you a Bible and we want to encourage you. The Bible says that you've been born again today if that's what's happening. And if you're listening to this, one of the many people listening on podcasts later, you can send us an email at connect at showbreakchurch.com and we would love to to get in connection with you, to talk to you about what God has done. So Jesus, thank you for this time that we've had to be in your word and to study you, to learn about you. Jesus, be king over Kona. Be king over this church. Let the religious people say in Kona, is everyone following Jesus? They're all going after him. God, I pray that would be true for us today. In your name, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.